Welcome back, everyone, to Mike on Money. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, Tuesday at noon, of course, we do our live update. Uh, it's always going to be available on podcast and replay if you want to catch it afterwards. But we cover everything that we saw last week, what we see coming up. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, alternative investing and how that fits into your portfolio and uh, exactly what it is and why it's come to be a major asset class within portfolios. But before that, we'll talk about uh, what's going on in the markets in the last week. Uh, and as always, everything that you hear on here or see on here is for information purposes only. Uh, always do your own due diligence or reach out to us. You can go at mikeonmoney.com. That's our portal. You can call us, email us, uh, or even set up a meeting with us directly there. If you have any questions on today's topics or any other topics that we've covered or that you might be curious about for your own situation. With that, as always, if you're watching live, you can click that Q&A button with any of your questions. Happy to answer those uh, or uh, we'll definitely follow up after today's session to answer any of those questions. And again, if you're watching uh, or listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, just go to our portal there and uh, send us in your questions. And also any feedback you have, any topics you'd like us to take a deep dive into, uh, happy to hear your suggestions and your input so that uh, we can get that out, that material out to you right away. So with that, just COVID update, uh, as always, we like to touch on things. Uh, all, all, of course, you know, things are progressing, um, you know, for the better. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of challenges and hiccups that, uh, that we're experiencing. Uh, you know, the new um, healthcare worker, the long-term care uh, home workers uh, across the country uh, are facing the deadline for them to be vaccinated. I think Ontario's was actually today. Uh, I know Quebec's is going in on Friday. Um, so, you know, this is just basically workers uh, have to show proof of vaccines to continue to work. Uh, we're seeing that a lot. That, so those are the governments. We're also seeing a lot in the private sector. A lot of uh, offices are saying, you know, if you want to come back in, uh, you've got to be vaccinated. Uh, many of them are still offering remote work um, for positions, but they're also saying that there's going to be a time limit on that as well. So, you know, as this plays out both here and the U.S. and around the world, um, I, I think that's kind of the, ne the, the, the next hurdle uh, that we're going to have to get through. Uh, and of course, it was Thanksgiving weekend uh, this weekend. So hope you all had uh, a good Thanksgiving with your friends and family. And uh, so far, I've heard of a lot of discussions around the COVID topic, the vaccine topic, the mandate topic. Um, and I think this is our, our next big hurdle of this pandemic is how do we get past all this, right? You know, so... Uh, there's some out there that, uh, you know, have been vaccinated, but don't like the mandates. Uh, some, of course, you, we hear about that don't want to be vaccinated. And those who are fully vaccinated want to kind of get things reopened. So uh, obviously we're facing uh, a lot of different sides and discussions. And I, uh, I'd love to hear stories uh, of, of, you know, how the family gathering went. I know uh, I wasn't there because my family's back east. Uh, but uh, I know that there were some uh, some disruptive conversations at the table, and I've heard of a few others as well. So, uh, you know, I, as a society, I think this is, you know, a big part of uh, things that we have to deal with uh, moving forward. 
So I'll leave uh, I'll leave that topic. Uh, we'll cover give a catch up next week. Uh, not a lot has changed again on the COVID front, uh, but the numbers are progressing. So let's take a look at the economy. What's going on uh, coming up? Uh, obviously, the U.S. small business optimism numbers are are coming out. How do, how are the small businesses faring? But not just how they're faring, but what's their attitude going forward? Are they are they looking strong in the reopening? How's the supply chain issues uh, affecting them? So we're going to get that full report out this week. Uh, and small business tends to drive a re, uh, recovery in markets, so it'll be important to see those numbers. And we're also looking at the world supply uh, and demand for agriculture uh, numbers, uh, monthly, monthly estimates coming out. Uh, and, uh, and we have been seeing inflation there, uh, obviously, uh, through these, this reopen with supply and demand, um, supply, sorry, the supply chain being uh, taxed. And uh, it's different all around the world. Of course, the UK has massive issues around that as well, uh, mostly around the, the Brexit situation. But we'll cover that in a little bit. Stock futures wobbled a little bit on Tuesday. Uh, we did see some energy uh, prices rising a bit more. Um, you know, obviously the concern around inflation, as you're going to see, it's the prominent discussion happening out there uh, and lingering worries around the, the China's property sector, uh, where we talked about the, the insolvency that, well, didn't go insolvent thanks to a bailout by the government, but, uh, you know, some insolvency concerns around some of the, uh, the, the property or real estate sector in, the, in China uh, that uh, caused a little upset in the market a few, uh, few weeks ago for a day or two. Uh, but then the futures around the S&P 500 this morning edges up a little bit. The markets are pretty flat so far this morning. Um, and, uh, and we're very likely going to see this. You know, we've talked about, you know, early part of the year, we saw very strong, you know, record high markets. Uh, we're definitely going into a more volatile period as we come down to this, this taper and crunch on the credit side of things. Uh, or inflation numbers, you know, they're all tied together. Uh, and and that's, again, nothing to be concerned about. Volatility can be your friend when you're investing. Uh, you just got to be aware of what's, what's driving that. And of course, the, those are those inflation numbers and the tapering numbers that we're seeing. The Dow Jones as well, uh, you know, pretty flat as well as the NASDAQ. Over and overseas, uh, we saw uh, some, some bigger pressures on the downside. We saw the stock Europe 600 fall and all the Asian markets pretty negative for the for the closing day today as well. Uh, just on the insight side of things, uh, if you haven't been following the Tesla story, so Tesla's moving their headquarters to Austin. Obviously, they're very happy as a state or sorry as a city. Uh, you know, bringing in all those jobs, bringing in Tesla. Uh, Tesla got a lot of lot and lot of tax incentives to do this move. Uh, you know, a lot of land. Uh, to build out a massive uh, battery and manufacturing plant that they're going to be moving from California uh, over. Uh, but locals, you know, it's, it's kind of that, um, you know, be careful what you wish for a little bit. Locals are a bit concerned now uh, of the housing prices being driven up and also losing kind of their community. Um, you know, Austin prides itself on being, you know, a little bit weird, a little unique culture. Uh, and you, you start bringing in, you know, droves of uh, workers from other states. You're bringing in new culture. You're bringing in new, new views. Uh, you're also bringing in more demand for uh, for the housing market. So they're concerned around that. Uh, but that moves move, that is moving forward. And of course, Tesla is also in the process of opening their their German plant as well to service the uh, the European markets. Uh, hedge fund dollar policy. Uh, you know, they're going longer for longer. Uh, basically, uh, the dollars at a at a crossroads right now. 
between its uh, rally over the last few months over concerns. Remember, the U.S. dollar rallies uh, when we go to negative markets versus long-term growth uh, in the overall economy drives the U.S. Uh, the U.S. yield down. So, the hedge funds are kind of in the middle uh, of the road on the on the um, on the currency front, and we're going to talk more about hedge funds as we get into alternatives and kind of what their strategies are like there. On the corporate side, uh, between the airlines and the corporations, and we covered this uh, quite a bit last year, and this is actually going to be very as a, very interesting to me as someone who was a big traveler for business uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, that has come to a complete stop during the pandemic, and now things are starting to reopen. But we now have corporations who are being very conscious of their carbon emissions, and of course, flying is a massive uh, contributor to carbon emissions and the need for corporate travel. Obviously there's the argument that relationships can't be built as easily uh, over the phone or over video uh, and you still have to have those in-person meetings. But through the pandemic, what one thing that the businesses were able to see is uh, how much they could get done using <clears throat> medias like this, Zoom or Teams or Google Meets uh, to still get work done, still get productive meetings um, happen around the world without having all the corporate travel. So where the airlines are at a fine balance now saying, okay, well, how much is that, is that travel going to come back? Even if things were all equal tomorrow, how much of the corporation is going to cut those travel budgets and continue to use the technology like Zoom to not only cut corporate costs, but their carbon footprint as well. Uh, and, and that's going to be a big, big hit for the airlines because, yes, airlines, you know, go after uh, vacation travelers and pleasure travelers. But a lot of the money, a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the uh, revenue uh, for airlines come from corporate travelers who, you know, tend to travel more often, spend more money <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, much more loyal to a particular airline. So uh, we'll keep a really close eye on that uh, as corporations do start to bring back corporate travel and, uh, and see what the new policies are looking at like and how much they're really looking at cutting their budgets. And, and we'll start to see that as we go into fourth quarter this year uh, as corporations set their budgets for next year. On the U.S. front, uh, you know, earnings are looking strong, still have that supply chain issue and, and cost worries. worries. You know, obviously, through the pandemic, a lot of corporations had to switch to, um, you know, e-commerce. So, you know, shipping costs uh, went up. They had to take extra, extra precautions around handling and and working uh, or work environments for their employees. You know, all these things raised costs, even if their uh, revenues were increased. You know, where that where that kind of ended up, but also on the supply chain as the raw materials uh, price goes up uh, due to the supply demand um, di diversion, uh, that's pushing more and more inflationary pressures on their bottom line as well. So yes, we're looking at a strong earnings season, but really want to be keeping a very close eye on the, those profit numbers to see where the, where the cost numbers have affected different industries. The U.S. IPO boom uh, still brave in this volatile market. Uh, you know, again, looking into back into 2020 and early 2021, we saw a very aggressive IPO boom uh, of companies coming with initial public offerings. 
uh, and, and having very high valuations, uh, you know, given, uh, given everything that was going on, seems to be continuing. Obviously not the same volumes as it was early, but still a very, very healthy finish to this year and a, and a pipeline into 2022. So again, it's a good signal of a continued optimistic market for, uh, for continued growth. Uh, but it, now we're, you know, we're, we've been battling for most part of 2021 between value investing and growth investing. Obviously, IPO tends to center around the growth side of things. <clears throat> so we'll have to keep a really close eye on that because growth has been lagging as of recent. So what are the performance of those IPOs going to look like for the rest of this year and into next year? Uh, White House is standing by the call with OPEC Plus to do more on oil prices. So we are seeing oil prices kind of surge, energy prices surge around the world for different reasons. I mean, obviously there's the crisis in the UK around the Brexit, not, you know, not even be able, even if they had supply, they don't have the drivers to, uh, to get the, uh, the fuel out to the stations. Uh, but also around the world, uh, you know, energy demand has been increasing and the supply, which had been cut back dramatically in early part of 2021, not be able to keep pace uh, as quickly as the demand has returned. So there, you know, there is a global push to keep those prices down. But you know, again, as we talked a little bit about last week, the week before, don't expect it to come down too much because we are in this divergence around uh, you know global energy. Of course, pre-pandemic and certainly through the pandemic, we've seen a lot of governments really push the mandate for renewable energy and cleaner energy, moving away from fossil fuels, uh, which is all great. I'm not, uh, I'm not discounting that uh, uh, or, or, or that concept, but the more you move away, you have to be able to keep up with the current demand. Uh, so you, you know, just saying we're gonna be renewable, but without having those sources uh, or infrastructure in place to keep up with demand while you're turning off the old fossil fuel uh, supplies, um, you know, you're going to come to, you know, very likely create this energy crunch. And that's a little bit what we're seeing right now. That's not a, not a doomsday uh, problem yet where we're going to have a massive energy shortage, but also obviously it is impacting the price. So we don't think that energy price is going down anytime soon uh, because as more and more infrastructure is being built for the renewables, uh, it's not there yet. Right. So there's still going to be that demand for oil for, for some years to come. Uh, financial groups are seeking clear, incredible, ambitious climate action from the G20. So, uh, so this is a, a group of financial services companies that control and, you know, have control and interest of about $90 trillion uh, globally, uh, looking for, you know, that clear, incredible uh, direction from these countries of how they're going to make this switch to uh, cleaner energy uh, around the world and, and, and what those timelines, uh, you know, what those realistic timelines, that credible portion of it, it's easy to say, we're going to do this, but you know, what's that plan? What's that spend? What's that look like? Because just saying it, just saying it does not make it happen. Um, and, and wanted to get there. I, I believe there's a lot of, uh, a lot of commitment from governments around the world that, that want to get there, but, you know, they haven't really looked at the nitty gritty of what it's going to take to get there, nor how long that might happen. So, uh, so you know, obviously financial groups are looking for that clarity. 
Uh, U.S. Treasuries are hobbled by Cruz uh, nomination poll. So this goes to the uh, the debt ceiling uh, in the U.S. The back and forth. There's been some agreements. Uh, now they're, they're trying to push things forward. Uh, it was uh, Mitch McConnell. It was uh, blocking things. Now it's Ted Cruz. You know, this the same names we see all the time. Um, kind of down there causing problems with uh, with the U.S. I don't think it's a big concern over the debt ceiling. Obviously, no one, even on the Republican side, uh, are going to want to uh, to uh, default uh, or the government to default. They will raise it or they will find a way to get get it done. Um, it's just pushing different agendas in, in order to uh, to you know get what they want in the process, uh, but not a not a big concern. On the uh, uh, on the economic news in, in the U.S. Uh, we are looking at the job openings and labor turnover numbers uh, to come out. Um, we saw some big numbers in July, just over 10 million, almost 11 million of unfilled jobs, uh, seeing that drop a little bit likely in August. Uh, so, you know, the, the challenge that we're having out, out there right now, and this is not a, a uniquely U.S. thing, is uh, we have jobs, so we have empty jobs, we just, uh, and we have unemployed. Uh, but they're not matching up. And that could be skill set. Uh, a lot of it, it seems to be centered around pay. Uh, so, you know, people are looking for jobs, but they, you know, they're just not willing to take that, you know, the lower paying jobs uh, because it's not enough to live on, right? So uh, what's the point of, of working 40, 60 hours a week and still not be able to pay your bills? So a lot of, uh, a lot of people are focusing on retraining uh, looking at uh, new job opportunities or new uh, jobs that offer at least growth in pay. Uh, and we've seen a lot of that over uh, the last two years where, uh, you know, demand in new areas, uh, you know, whether it be tech or industries that are applying tech and grown uh, much, rapid, much more rapidly than kind of your traditional, um, say, retail or service positions that tend to be those lower, lower paying jobs. Uh, and, and just not getting the interest from uh, from uh, the unemployed in those areas. So this is something that's uh, going to continue to be an issue. And obviously that issue is only going to get a lot more complicated uh, as we move into these new uh, restrictions uh, for the vaccine, for the vaccinated being able to work. As more and more companies, more and more governments start to say you have to have the vaccines, uh, obviously that's going to open new positions, but of course, more unemployed. So where's the balance going to end up there? We'll keep a close eye on that. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, the conversations out there is really around monetary policy and, uh, and inflation rates and tapering of uh, liquidity. Uh, so, you know, almost every week, and of course, we now have the, the Fed Reserve Vice Chair uh, holding a meeting and, and talking about what their plan is. And then we even have on the private side, we have Wells Fargo and Bank of America getting together to have you know, a big meeting called Views from C-Suite as they take a look and put their opinion in around monetary fund and uh, World Bank annual at the World Bank annual meeting in Washington. Uh, and this is all centered around how we're going to deal with this inflation. How is monetary policy going to shift from that drop in interest rate to a rise in interest rate market? Because really think about it. We really haven't had the rise in interest rate market in a long time, in decades. We've seen some blips along the way, but nothing Nothing, uh, nothing near that what we're probably looking at uh, in the coming years here. Uh, also, we've never been this low, so or not been this low in, in decades as far as the uh, 
the lending rates out there. So it's been coming for a long time and now uh, everyone's trying to agree on how we're gonna deal with it. Uh, other news, Merck is out there to seek approval just ahead of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the US, <clears throat> excuse me, the US, uh, uh, sorry, they're seeking approval from the US Drug Authority. <laughs> I'm losing it today, first day back. The, the US Drug Authorization for a uh, treatment of mild and moderate patients uh, using an oral medication. So they are much different than the vaccines. Uh, and, and so far their tests uh, are looking very promising. Uh, obviously this will be a big break, breakthrough for the hospitals to try to keep more and more people out of emergency care and out of the ICU unit uh, and be able to treat more um, from uh, at home uh, if you do have mild to moderate uh, COVID uh, once you've caught it. Uh, Emerson Software is looking to uh, merge with Aspen Tech with an $11 billion deal. So we still seeing a lot of M&A out there. Uh, and, you know, again, this is moving into the automation side of things, which is focused on utility and mining. Uh, and we talked about earlier when we talked about, um, uh, you know, industries that are growing through this pandemic and only expanding. Automation one was one of those big ones. Uh, so we're seeing more M&A in that front. Uh, Chevron's committed to their net zero operations by 2050. So this is following, you know, BP uh, had a similar announcement. Uh, and this just goes back to that energy shift. We're seeing corporations making massive shift to, as I mentioned, reduce the carbon footprint, but also renewable energies uh, very quickly. But, you know, leaving, leaving this hole around the, the supply side of things on the, uh, on the fossil fuels. Uh, and Southwest Airlines, you know, just talking about the airlines, having some mass cancellations over the, uh, the last week or so. Um, 2,200 flights uh, were rescheduled or canceled since Saturday, blaming mostly weather and air traffic control issues out of Florida. They're trying to get back to, to normal services. But a lot of this is also kind of comes down to staffing. You know, again, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of services, especially in industries like the airlines, uh, we're seeing it at hotels, and of course, I'm sure we've all seen that restaurants where um, they've not been able to restaff up as quickly as they wanted to through uh, through the reopening, and uh, and that leads to having to have more and more cancellations, even if they want to provide the services. So, all goes back to that unemployment numbers. On the dollar front, as I mentioned, the U.S. dollar dipped a little bit, uh, but holding in there steady. Uh, the euro weakened a bit as their markets are showing some negativity over there. Uh, we're seeing the Treasury rose to uh, 1.6, so the, the uh, U.S. Treasury notes uh, still climbing on those inflationary numbers and still tracking upwards, so we'll continue to watch that. On the commodity front, oil broke through $80 a barrel, uh, so still seeing a lot of strength on that front, um, and, and again, not a lot, a lot of sign of that slowing down. Maybe a little bit of volatility as governments start to get involved to uh, increase supply. So we might see it pull back into the 70s, but will likely stay very strong. And aluminum, uh, aluminum rose to its uh, highest level since 2008, as we've seen most, most metals uh, continue to rise through all this, mostly on shortage of supply, much like we're seeing in the energy front. So let's talk about alternatives. What are they? Why are they? And what do you want? Why do you want them in the portfolio? Well, you know, everyone, when you're building your portfolio, I mean, one of the few things we're looking at is 
really bring down volatility and, and increase uh, growth opportunity. And you've heard me talk a lot of times about you know correlations. So you know how uh, how different investments react at different times compared to other parts of your portfolios. And uh, the current landscape is dramatically different than you know a few decades ago. You've seen our videos on 60/40 or the efficient um, the efficient uh, frontier uh, modern portfolio theory and all those things from the 50s that don't really apply to the markets today because it's so the investment uh, landscape is so dramatically different, uh, and volatility has increased. You know, we've looked at uh, you know different categories like you know low income yields, you know, versus the equity markets. Uh, you know how they used to act in you know opposite correlations. So one's going up, the other one's going down. They don't really have that like they like they did 20 years ago. We have this positive correlation happening, uh, especially when the markets get. Um, more and more stress when there's there's more things going on in the market. So alternatives started to become uh, more available to uh, retailers much more over the last 20 years. They've been out there for a long time, but more and more uh, it's been packaged up in a way that retail investors or individual investors can access it. You know, the demand for, uh, you know, something new we saw only just a, a couple of years ago, liquid alternatives uh, has, has grown to almost or expected to grow to almost 100 billion by 2023. Uh, and it's evolving how people build their portfolios. So what are alternative assets? Well, commodities, when we talk about commodities, uh, you know, we've covered oil, uh, metals, uh, agriculture, all those things. You know, again, mostly was done through future trade in 20, 30 years ago. Now you can access them through ETFs. You can access them through funds. Uh, there's even different trusts you can uh, invest into that, uh, you know, cover those asset classes in your portfolio. Real estate as well used to be mostly private deals. Uh, of course, REITs, real estate uh, investment trusts, uh, have, have massively grown and been a big part of portfolios uh, for the last decade and been, uh, you know, uh, big contributors to, to portfolio growth over the last decade uh, have brought that basically to, you know, any any investor be able to access that infrastructure newer than real estate, but you can definitely invest in infrastructure again, right down to ETS, which are super easy to get to, but also uh, a lot of other uh, individual um, uh, traded structures that you or traded units that you can go buy that are focused strictly on infrastructure, whether locally or globally, uh, which are, are great hedges. And of course, currencies as well. So you can invest in currencies. You can invest in uh, uh, hedge currency, so you can bet against the currency. So if you think it's going down, you can buy an investment that will, uh, you know, rise if if the current underlying currency you're betting against goes down. So all these different categories. What makes them alternative is they act independently of the general stock market, of the general economic growth. Uh, commodities can can be going up while the economy is going down. Real estate doesn't exactly move the same patterns that we would see the equity markets and same with infrastructure and currencies. They tend to have negatively correlated or certainly uncorrelated reactions to the market. So that becomes very powerful in your portfolio in order to offset risk and enhance your returns. So, you know, how do we use those strategies? Well, there's a lot of common strategies out there. Long, short, probably one of the more popular ones. 
And this is, you might use an investment uh, tool like an ETF or a fund. Uh, well, they'll take long positions in, in equities or, or investments that are expected to go up over the next year uh, and short, so, you know, sell uh, positions that they expect to go down over the next year. And, you know, ideally what you've created is a lower volatility, but continuing to rise portfolio, even if the markets are a little unstable. Uh, Event-driven, you know, so it might be, uh, you know, focus on a, sp a particular deal or a particular, you know, particular area. So you might say, I want to do go into infrastructure because the government's putting a lot of infrastructure money out there in the U.S. Uh, you know, their $3.5 trillion infrastructure deal they're trying to get through. So it might be driven around something like that. Market neutral. So you might just want to be canceling out uh, you know, the volatility in the market just to keep risk low uh, inside your portfolio. Uh, and then maybe you're trying to hedge out a global macro view. So those are different strategies you can, you can put into there. Uh, they tend to be very liquid though. So you've got to be very careful when you put uh, alternatives into your portfolio. Um, you know, a lot of them are, are, are accessed through private credit. So private credit, credit tends to be, uh, you know, better returns, more stable returns than, uh, you know, market-driven uh, credit investments. Uh, but at the same time, you don't have that liquidity. You don't have T plus two days liquidity. Uh, you know, you could be months or years if there's any liquidity at all. And that same goes for private equity and, of course, direct real estate investment. Um, you know, you can go to some pretty illiquid markets, depending on what type of uh, real estate that you're holding, which geography you're holding in, and what's going on in the underlying market. So liquidity, when we talk about alternatives, should be your first question. How liquid is this? Uh, how quickly can I get uh, out of that or change that investment should my strategy or should my portfolio warrant that change? Because uh, around alternatives, that's probably your biggest, uh, your, your biggest concern uh, beyond how that particular strategy uh, uh, fits into what you're trying to build in the portfolio. So if you can combine liquidity uh, and transparency uh, around the investments, this is what the, the, the new trend is around this uh, liquid alternative funds. Uh, and this was a regulatory change. So for a long time, um, you know, hedge funds were out there would offer these different strategies. Now I'm going to go more into hedge funds in a moment uh, because I think, you know, there, there's, there's two sides, the, the very broad needle when we say, uh, uh, hedge funds, uh, as, as far as what you're looking for out of a hedge fund. But hedge funds were mostly limited to what we call accredited investors. So people with uh, substantial uh, wealth already, high income, uh, and a lot of experience in investing. So not everyone qualified to buy a hedge fund um, in previous years. A couple of years ago, uh, they came out with liquid, liquid alternatives. So the hedge funds basically um, were, were opened up to, to all, almost all investors. Uh, and uh, the big change was that funds would provide liquidity. So just like a mutual fund that you can buy and sell on a T plus two. So, you know, you can put in a sell today, get your pricing at the end of the day and have, uh, have your cash in a couple of days. Uh, they brought that to hedge funds. Now, there are some challenges for company, the companies that are running those. Uh, liquid alternatives. One is how do they provide that liquidity? Well, they have to keep a big part of the portfolio liquid. 
um, you know, in more liquid investments so that they can, you, you know, they can provide that daily liquidity. And they're always balancing inflow cash, people buying and, and people exiting the funds. So, you know, you got to really take a look at what you're buying uh, when you're buying the liquid alts. Does it make sense? Are you giving up, uh, you know, what, how much returns or, or potential returns are you giving up uh, for that liquidity? Uh, and do you need all that liquidity in your, in your portfolio? Uh, a normal hedge investment, you know, might have, you know, monthly liquidity, but still serve your purposes and not upset your overall portfolio, but you might not be giving up the benefits of that. So keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, the liquid alts. Uh, they do offer, you know, potential for enhanced diversification, you know, decreased volatility, all the benefits of alternatives. Um, you know, it's just that liquidity portion uh, does cost a little bit to, to, to have that. So not saying it's a bad thing, just definitely you want to know exactly what you're buying uh, and, and what uh, might be the limitations of that particular liquid fund. So hedge funds, let's talk a bit about hedge funds in general. So I generally like to classify them as hedge funds and ledge funds, and the L stands for leverage. So uh, all hedge funds, uh, the leverage funds tend to take a lot more risk. So they're less focused around uh, reducing volatility in the portfolio. Uh, they're more focused on performance. Now that performance, they definitely are seeking to be, um, you know, in most cases, uncorrelated to the market. So they're, they're, they're trying to achieve a big part of what you're looking for in alternatives, but they'll take big bets to get that. So, you know, they might put, um, you know, a big focus on say energy or, you know, oil and gas or uh, even just natural gas. Uh, and they'll leverage, so they'll borrow against the portfolio to buy more, to really leverage up the returns. Now, if that's what you're looking for, that's fine. Again, you really want to know what you're buying. Uh, you want to understand the manager. You want to understand their, their, their past performance and, and also what measures they have in place to protect the portfolio if their bets are going wrong, because uh, it does happen. We've seen many years where uh, hedge funds have blown up massively because of uh, making uh, big swings at certain sectors that have not worked out. So uh, it's, you know, it's really important to understand what you're buying, what, why you're buying it, how it fits into your portfolio and uh, what risk you're taking with that. On the other side, you have hedge funds like the long shorts, uh, the, uh, you know, might be hedging a particular uh, currency or a particular uh, asset class or a particular sector. Uh, that might fit perfectly into your portfolio that can really offset the risk you might be exposed to on your long positions uh, and bring, you know, bring down your risk in your portfolio, but not hurt your performance very much. So, you know, using them correctly in the portfolio is really important, especially when we're in, into volatile markets. Uh, it brings you, you know, diversification away from just the, the stocks and, and bonds, which, you know, as we mentioned, they can positively correlate, correlate quite a bit, uh, especially in more modern times. So, you know, having alternatives in the portfolio adds that layer of diversification, which can, um, you know, bring you added returns, but also, you know, downside protection, right? So it doesn't move in tandem with what's going on in the markets. Uh, it's gonna give you that, that potential of lower volatility. And just access to extra sources of returns, right? Take you outside the standard uh, type of investments. And there's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean you're increasing risk in the portfolio by using something called an alternative. 
just be, you know, I just want to stress to be careful around that term because it has been swept up in those ledge funds or, you know, the more aggressive hedge funds. And uh, someone might say, well, I've got, you know, 10 or 20% alternative in my portfolio. I should be lower, you know, my, I have a lower, my portfolio risk should be lower, but you might actually be increasing uh, your portfolio if you're not really sure what you have. But also, what, what are your other holdings? Are you, are you increasing your risk by doubling down on a bet? Uh, you know, for example, if you bought one of those ledge funds that are really bullish on energy, but you have a bunch of other energy long names in the portfolio, you, you are increasing your exposure to that particular sector and potentially really increasing the risk around your portfolio. So with that, I'll wrap it up for today. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us live. Those of you uh, watching the replay, remember go to mikeonmoney.com, send in your questions. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, same thing. Uh, can't wait to talk to you again next week. We're going to uh, try to get a deep dive out this Friday as well. So we'll post that up on Mike on Money. Uh, but come visit us, let us know any of your questions. And remember, if you have any questions about alts in your portfolio, uh, you want to look at them in your portfolio, reach out to us. Uh, it is a little bit of a, a, a landmine a land uh, as far as picking which ones are best suited for your portfolio. But with that, thank you, everyone. Take care and enjoy your week.